um, some of the types of retreats he does or what he's doing. Um, I hope he picked up that water that you just spilled. Okay, sounds good. Um, and uh, you're going to have to cut that out. <laughs> you want me to start over again? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Admissions Director's Lunchcast. I am your host, Tej Matil, Vice President for Enrollment at Carroll University in Wisconsin, and along with my co-host, Nathan Ament, the Chief Enrollment Officer at Loyola University, New Orleans, we are here to deliver exhilarating content on college admissions topics. Okay, maybe exhilarating is a stretch, but we all work in admissions. But for you 1,000 or so admissions directors out there, we promise that this will be the best 45-minute lunch meeting you will have all week. Nathan, how are you? I'm good, Tiggy. How are you? Oh, oh, right off the bat. Let's get that. It's Tiege. Oh, right, right. That's going to be a bad habit to break, but I'll try. All right. Well, let's, let's get going here. I'm really excited with our first episode that we're going to be discussing working your admit pool. And we have some fantastic guests to help us out. Teej, since this is our first episode, should we explain the format of the LunchCast a bit first? I think we should. Each week, Nathan and I will discuss a topic that is directly related to recruitment and admission. Our hope is that by the end of the LunchCast, you, the listener, will have a good handle on the topic and can walk right out of your lunch break and implement tactics immediately. Okay, maybe not immediately, but you can maybe send an email to one of your direct reports to start thinking about this. Right. We both know higher ed moves at glacial speed, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. All right. So what about our guest, Teej? Each week, we will bring in a guest that is an influencer in the college search process. So that could be a parent, a school counselor, a teacher, or a coach. And after that, we will interview a practitioner in the admission field, meaning an admission professional or consultant. We will ask their opinions, and hopefully they'll be able to relate some relevant experiences on the topic of the week. Nathan and I don't pretend to know all the answers, so we're really looking forward to hearing from these folks. Yes, absolutely. So today, as our influencer guest on episode number one, we have Adrian Flores, the Kyle Transition Counselor at Carmen High School of Science and Technology on the Southeast Campus. And as our practitioner guest, we have Brian Troyer, the Dean of Undergraduate Admissions at Marquette University. Nathan, should we set the table on our topic first? Yes, absolutely. Let's get started, Tiki. Teej, still Teej. All right, Teach. So today's the first episode. Really excited. Again, as we kind of alluded to in our opening there, you and I don't pretend to know all these answers. We're not experts, but we really saw this as an opportunity to um, gather some of our friends. This is the first season, so that's what you do when you start a podcast. You get your friends together and you talk about college admissions. But we're really excited about the lineup of guests we have. We're going to do eight episodes here, um, beginning with this first one. And all of the topics 
um, for this season are related to anything that happens typically in the spring. Um, and like we said in the opening, really hope, hoping this will be relevant content um, for our listeners who are hopefully admissions directors or admissions professionals in the field. So um, I'm really excited that we're able to get going. And today um, seems like this is the perfect, perfect uh, topic to start with on episode number one, um, working your admit pool. So um, what are some of the things you hope to ask our guests today um, about working, working the admit pool? Yeah, you know, over the last, I'd say probably 10 to 12 years, the ability to segment your admit pool has gotten to, you know, what I think I would say is starting to get borderline creepy. Now, that's right. not to say I'm not doing the <laughs> creepy things. I am, right? right? I, I, I regularly said about some of the tactics, I am so glad we can do this. I just hate that other people can do it to me, you know? Um, so, but I, I really want to ask both guests, like, how how much is too much? You know, if we hit them with an email that says we saw that you spent 42 seconds on the housing page, uh, how is that likely to be received? I, I get so mad when I get um, well-timed ads from, you know, major corporations, retail corporations, whatever else. And then I have to step back and think, oh, yeah, we're doing that to the prospective students. <laughs> so I need to calm myself down. But I, I really do think that um, that's that's the way right now. And there's a there's a lot of great tools at our disposal. Um, but like you said, what's too much? I think the other thing that I'm excited to ask Brian about, um, since he manages a, a pretty large staff there at Marquette, is how does he motivate the counselors yeah. to segment and how do they go about doing that? How do they slice and dice the data? How do they take it a couple steps further than just a regular old report that comes out of the CRM? You know, how do they get to that level of personalization while also using the tools at their disposal? So I think from his perspective on the other side, you know, Adrian's going to give us a good perspective from what he's hearing from his students, but then Brian um, is going to give us a great perspective, we hope, and the questions we're asking him about motivating staff. So, you know, it's just amazing how far things have come. Do you remember the mm -hmm. segmentation I did with the admit pool back when we worked together at Lawrence? I took 20 different uh, articles from the student newspaper or the magazine and photocopied a ton of copies. And for every single one of it, my admits, I sent them three or four with just a quick post-it that said, you know, student name, I thought you'd be interested in this. And I mailed them out. And now with uh, the CRM capabilities, the ability to drill down into click-through traffic and web behavior and and just all the things that we can do, it, it makes that, that paper project that I remember doing on my kitchen table just seem so quaint. You know what I we can't replicate in the CRM and I'm still trying to do to this day? Those colored markers. How do we get the CRM? <laughs> How do we get the CRM teach to write in different colors? Nathan, I you remember know, the colored markers. I used to be a hall director. You cannot take my Sharpies oh, away from me. Mm -hmm. right. Well, All right. Well, Nathan, I think we should move on to our guests if we can. You mean we don't want to talk about colored markers anymore? That's a shame. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> First conversation is with Adrian Flores, and then our second conversation is Brian Troyer, and we hope you really enjoy these conversations, and we'll see you on the other side.
Well, Nathan, I think a really great perspective on this conversation is going to come from our next guest. Uh, we have with us today Adrian Flores from the Carmen Schools in Milwaukee. Adrian, welcome to the Lunchcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Adrian, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you found yourself in your current position? Yeah, so like Teach said, my name is Adrian Flores. I'm currently one of the college transition coordinators at the Carmen Schools Network, Carmen High School of Science and Technology, specifically at the Southeast campus. So I started my journey in higher education, a tour guide at my undergraduate institution, Northland College. So I was doing tours for them and I became the admissions intern. And this is how I got connected with TJ actually. Upon graduation, I had applied to a position at my Northland College for an undergraduate admissions counselor and TJ was actually my first boss. So that's kind of how this connection was formed. And I really liked higher education and just the ins and outs, the people connection, um, just getting to meet different people. And then um, after my time at Northland, I moved on to work at Cardinal Church University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, and there's where my passion really thrived for serving underrepresented. When um, I first, after working at Cardinal Church, I moved on to working with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Milwaukee Graduation Plus program. And then uh, this kind of led me now to my current position at Carmen. Well, Adrian, if I can just jump into the questions, the, the first question I have for you is really about kind of what seniors are thinking about. So this, this week, we're talking about how admissions directors and admissions counselors should kind of break up their admit pool into smaller segments to, to reach out to. But from your perspective, what are the top three concerns that students want to hear from us about? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... Obviously, with the elephant in the room, the biggest concern would be how colleges are handling COVID. Um, work, working with a strong population of first-generation college-bound students, you know, home responsibilities and things like that. So I think hearing how different colleges and universities are handling the COVID situation and what they're doing as far as protection for students and most importantly, overall protection for family when it comes to financial and graduation plans, I think that's on the forefoot. Uh, for more for a majority of the students that I'm working with. Um, the second thing I would say is probably what colleges are offering in terms of majors and careers. That's always a big concern for students just because the biggest thing is, you know, some students have specific career paths and specific career goals, and sometimes the college doesn't align with them. So it's more so on the admissions counselors to explain the different paths and then you know, us on the high school side explaining to them, you know, what it takes to become um, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, um, et cetera, the list goes on. So I think overall, just the different offerings that colleges are offering and and aren't offering, you know, cuts are, are a big thing right now in admissions and higher education. So being a, for students is just being aware about that and seeing if the program is even available at that school. Um, and then lastly is a personal touch. Um, our students miss that. We miss that with uh, working with families and working with students and other staff members, I think it's just having that personal personability, specifics, workshops, and things like that. Our students do miss that personal aspect, so that's one of the biggest things that's on their mind as well. It's just that um, having that individualized approach and that personalized aspect of the process. Adrian, you you've got to take a minute to uh, tell our listeners about the the dogs we hear in the background. <laughs> yeah they're, so, they're always popular yeah so um my dogs if anybody knows me i'm a total dog dad i have uh a weird bunch of dogs i have three dogs two dachshunds miniature wiener dogs and a pit bull so it's the weirdest weirdest <laughs> just like combination of 
too small breed, you know, breed. So it's just funny. And when I, when I do seminar, when I meet with parents or something, they're always on the computer. They're always uh, say hello. So when I do seminar with our students, they always pop on the screen and the students uh, tend to just gravitate towards that. Um, but for me, I, it, it, part of it, you know, tease brings it up, but I like to be as genuine as possible. And, you know, we all want to be perfect in this virtual world and being real, it's not a perfect situation. Um, and this is my situation now I'm working from home with my three dogs and those are my best coworkers I've ever had. Sorry, tease. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't apologize for that ever. Ever. <laughs> Um, I think that's great. And I mean, I think the word you use there is genuine. And that's really what um, to, to kind of piggyback on your earlier point about what's working with families right now. Um, we're seeing that with a lot of our admissions counselors also that they, they have their dog or their kid runs into the room or whatever else. Everybody's in the same boat. And myself, having worked remote, um, you know, years before the pandemic, that was such a huge taboo that you could never possibly get interrupted. And you had to almost pretend that you were in the office. And now it just builds a greater connection. So um, you couldn't have actually cued those dogs any better <laughs> to make your point. Maybe you did that on purpose. So. You know, they, they know when I'm in, when they know when I'm working, that they got to make an appearance. So we sure. have to chime in about the, the issues of higher education as well. <laughs> you know, Adrian, part of your answer, I think, really speak as, as far as what students are most looking for right now. You, the personalization that make it more about them really fits in well to our topic this week of segmentation. Uh, you know, two years ago, we would do an open house and try and just fill the room, fill the auditorium. And now we're space limited, so it's giving us an opportunity to do an open house about nursing, an open house um, about the humanities, right? To, to be more targeted and more specific, not at the level of personalization that you're speaking of. I think that that needs to be happening as well. But when we are doing in-person events, because they have to be smaller, uh, a good strategy is to make sure to, to make it more um, content driven and invite smaller groups of students. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I think saying that big word right there, content driven, I think um, that's a great opportunity for not not just to get more um, specific, specific groups of students on campus, um, but also to get faculty and other staff members involved on the campus. You know, what great opportunity would it be to get um, nursing staff to see the students that they're going to be uh, working with for the next four years or um, the people that run the internship program seeing, you know, potential um, students that they're going to be setting up jobs and careers for for the next four years. I think it's a it, it's a, a great opportunity for both parties to have those um, specific content driven events or specific content driven workshops or marketing materials because then you get um, a, a lot more hands in the pot to work through the same uh, towards the same goal and the same mission. So, Adrian, let me pivot here just a little bit. As admissions professionals, we always want to know, and you probably remember back to your days um, working on the college side, we feel like sometimes there's a, a wall that maybe the students put up and we don't know if they're actually interested or not. We have all these tools now at our disposal that we can almost pinpoint based on their behavior online, whatever else, and try to get glean a sense if they're actually interested. But what are some things maybe you can see on your side that we should see as indicators of when we know a student is actually really interested in our college? I wish I knew the answer to that because I kind of struggle <laughs> with that too. Where trying sure. to find, you know, those colleges have deadlines and colleges have all these things. And, and uh, we're realizing some of our students get really stressed or they get really um, scared from the process. So they tend to just uh, quote, ghost us. 
um, in a sense. So I think just kind of taking a step back, I think the biggest thing that college admissions professionals can do is just use the different stakeholders involved in the process. So, you know, communicating with myself, communicating with a guidance counselor, or if they're part of a, um, the power of a text message is great. To be completely honest with you, I can't remember the last time I answered a phone call from a number I didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. So text messages have, text messages have been working a lot for uh, certain students and phone calls are kind of a, I don't want to say a dying breed, but they're kind of going along the wayside. So text messaging is, would be the best approach for that. But for me, the biggest thing would just be using the different stakeholders involved in the student's process. So the guidance counselor, the college transition coordinator, like myself, their program coordinator at their organization, whatever it may be, to break down that wall. And like I said, I understand there's um, walls and barriers, but when the stakeholders trying to help in the process, I think you just have to, you almost have to invite them in rather than setting up a wall of, what can and can't be done. Adrian, what have you seen as successful examples of admissions counselors actually connecting with admitted students on a personal level? Yeah, so some so some uh, positive examples I would say are deaf on-site admissions and that's been very effective. Um, so shout out to the folks over at UW, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, as well as Marquette University here in Milwaukee as well. They've done a great job of um, creating these on-site admissions events in a virtual world this year, which have gone extremely, extremely successful. And even for students that, you know, they didn't get the news they wanted, their admissions professionals were trained in how to explain the situation to a student, how to walk them through next steps, what is the best option for them. So I think, again, still having that broader event, that bigger event, but honing in on that personal aspect that we talked about at the beginning is still a a crucial part. And then the other thing we've, we've seen be really effective is creating it's just almost getting involved in the school and being just that common face. So we have a couple of reps that are consistently um, helping us out with workshops and um, seminars and events and things like that. So they become a familiar face with our 10th graders as early as 10th grade. And when they become seniors, they're just, they know who they're working with. They know who they're talking to rather than just, hey, I'm only here for one year kind of thing. So I just think again, at, at the heart of it is personalizing the whole process to the students. Um, and I thought, and I think this year so far, UW Milwaukee and Marquette University have been great partners in doing that, and they've been great in supporting um, our students and um, personalizing the whole process for them, even even in a virtual world. So the the follow up question, of course, to that, Adrian, is: uh, Are there any less successful examples that you would, uh, you know, our audience should be primarily admissions directors that you would advise us against? Yeah, I would, I would honest, and and I've had conversations with this, and I know we've had some uh, uh, off air conversations about this too, as well, Tej. But I think the traditional visit style, whether it's uh, the high school visit style, whether it's virtual or in person, um, needs to be revamped. I struggle sitting in a room sometimes listening to admissions uh, representatives talk about their institution because it's it's very bland and there's not like anything that would get them excited to go versus they're just reading statistics and numbers. Um, and things like that versus the more successful schools, they bring in some students they bring in some alumni, they, they, you know, bring in specifics about programs and partnerships and things like that. But I think the traditional model of signing up for a fall high school visit or a spring high school visit needs to be revisited by admissions directors because the traditional model, especially in the virtual sense is not working. And the ones that are working are the ones that are getting more involved or the ones that are coming more frequently or the ones that um, are being more creative with how they handle recruitment efforts and things like that. So um, that would probably be the, the least effective model of recruitment is just that traditional style of, you know, signing up for a high school visit and 
saying your student to faculty ratio and how many students attend and top five majors. So Adrian, we've all been predicting the end of high school visits since probably before any of the three of us got in admissions, right? Do you think the pandemic will, will finally do away with them? I personally don't think it'll do with them. What it will do, it's gonna push the college and universities to think outside the box. And like I mentioned, to be more direct. And like we said um, at the beginning of this, when we talked about the events that you, that you guys do at your institution teach is being more content driven rather than just generalizing um, the institution. Um, and like I said, the more content driven events, the more content driven visits are the ones that are most effective and are the ones that are get the students excited. The general, ask the general events and the general just visits are the ones where you kind of see students just um, in the back of their mind thinking, oh, it was cool, but it wasn't really for me because you're just giving them general information that, well, honestly, they could Google and find that information. Um, so I don't see them coming to an end, but what I do see is seeing more of those content-driven events and visits popping up as a result of the lack of effectiveness of a traditional event or a traditional visit. So can I ask a follow-up question to that kind of on the same topic then, Adrian? Um, is it possible to be kind of flipping, flipping that conversation? Is it possible to be too segmented or too targeted? Would we alienate some some students in that in that manner? Or what are your opinions on that? I think it'll, it'll not necessarily alienate students, but it'll more so find the students that are the best fit. Mm -hmm. And then now this kind of puts, puts it in perspective of the role of college admissions counseling and the recruiting aspect is now you get to put your admissions hat on and work with those students when it comes to GPA and ACT and, um, you know, wants and needs and things like that. And then it also puts um, a little bit work on us as well is guiding those students properly into those programs that are more segmented, the more specific. So it then it becomes a more of a tag team. So not only does that open it up for more of that fit conversation, but it opens up more of a, and it also opens up more of like a tag team and a more of a partnership into getting the student best enrolled and into the best situation and best program. That makes a lot of sense. Um, let me take it one step further. I talked a little bit about all the tools that we have available to us now on the admission side. And and I think you're right. I'm not trying to offend you or anything, but you know, it's very easy to get outdated <laughs> when you're not in college admissions because the especially with the pandemic, the tools that are available to us on the college side are changing almost by the month. It seems like the new inventions are happening all the time. But all of these are kind of going along, trying to track students' behavior even further. And they're definitely trying to, one of the biggest indicators we've ever seen is on the website or, um, you know, things that they're interacting with the college. Um, do you think students just assume naturally that we're tracking them and being a big bit, big brotherish, if you will? Or what's kind of some of your opinions you've heard from the, from the students? Uh, that's actually pretty funny. Uh, Kinda, yes. Uh, they do find it a little weird. It's like, well, it's like, Mister, I, I was just on their website, and then they just sent me an email. Like, what, what's going on? Right. Uh, but at the same time, it, you know, it, like you said, it, with all the tools and stuff, I actually think it's pretty cool. You know, if you get more clicks on, you know, if you get uh, a thousand clicks out of two thousand on a certain program, then you know, then that kind of gives you more uh, leverage. It's like, hey, maybe we should uh, talk about this program more specifically. I just think that they're they're be more direct in the search process so they know like oh a nursing school mm -hmm. looking for those specific nursing nursing programs and things like that but yeah i'm all for just you know looking at trends and statistics um when it comes to the process and um like you said i'm outdated on what you guys do as much as you guys are outdated on what you know we're in charge to do so right. it's kind of like that double-edged sword in a sense 
That's fantastic. Adrian, that, that brings us to the end. And aside from spending time with your dogs, is there anything you're working on this spring that you are excited about and how can folks get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, aside from spending as much time as possible with my dogs, more time than now, um, I currently enrolled in a PhD program. So I'll be spending a lot of time uh, developing my dissertation, um, as well as just working on schoolwork. Other than that, I just think I, I'm originally from Los Angeles. So as, as soon as the snow melts, I'm outside getting some sun. So just, just enjoying out the outdoors, hanging out with my fiance, just enjoying the outdoors. We don't have any travel plans, just because the current situation, we're playing a little safe. But yeah, just kind of hanging out here in Milwaukee, enjoying what there is to do outside. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, definitely, um, I would love to connect, love to discuss, um, love to partner. Um, with institutions out there. And uh, my email is floresadrian at carmenhighschools.org. Just shoot me an email and I'm always happy to discuss, grab a cup of coffee, socially distance, of course. And yeah, just looking forward to the work you guys all do for our students. And thank you so much for um, the support for our families and our students. And just remember that we do all this work for our students and for a better future. Quick break here between guests. This is Nathan. Just want to let everybody know that we're actually going to do a little small giveaway on episode eight. So stay tuned. Um, keep an eye on our social media channels and then be sure to tune into episode eight for a giveaway um, that I think is going to be really darn cool. So stay tuned. Well, Teach, I'm really enthused to continue our conversation about working your admit pool and introduce our next guest, our practitioner guest for this episode, Brian Troyer, Dean of Undergraduate Admissions at Marquette University. Brian, welcome to the LunchCast. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to join you all today. Well, Brian, you and I know each other and gotten to know each other a little bit through the Jesuit College Connection. Can you give folks a little bit of your background and your experiences here in higher ed thus far? My name is Brian Troyer, Dean of Undergraduate Admissions at Marquette University. Uh, and as I look back on my professional career, it's, it's, it's been quite a journey. In fact, when I was a high school student in South Central Kentucky, uh, Marquette was actually my, my dream school where I wanted to go. I'll, I'll spare you my life story, but ended up not, not coming here for undergrad, but I'm actually currently a doctoral student here at Marquette, uh, working on a, a PhD in Ed Policy and Leadership but professionally have been here at Marquette four and a half years in this role as Dean of Admission. Moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin back in 2013, actually, to uh, be the Director of Admission at a large public school here locally. And then and prior to that, uh, worked at another large uh, public flagship institution. And so this, this for me is my, my first private school that I've worked for, but absolutely have, have found this to be a very special place and uh, eager to have a conversation with you all today. Well, we're really excited to have you and we're right in the middle here of yield season and it's, you know, one of my favorite seasons of the year. But as you sit down with your staff, typically ahead of yield season, either at Marquette or one of your former institutions, what are the top three tactics you typically recommend to your staff um, heading into the season? Yeah, there, there's a lot to go in that, that goes in um, to to the strategy that, that we might deploy in a particular year. A lot of it is contextual, of course. So looking at the the time that we're in, the behavior that we have seen among the students. But but I, I like to kind of start philosophically with my staff, and, and this has been true wherever I've worked, but but really at Marquette, uh, being able to, to tie it directly to our institutional mission. You talked about kind of our connection through the, the Jesuit network, but being a Catholic and Jesuit school, I'm a firm believer in the mantra, no matter how large or, or small your, your class is, you, you can approach 
uh, recruitment and certainly yield um, with this philosophy of, of building a class one student at a time. Uh, obviously, it's, it's a lot easier said than done, but I think some of the tactics that we can deploy really kind of help help live that out. And then at Marquette, you know, we have the added benefit, we, you know, our, our Catholic and Jesuit mission, and we use this phrase a lot, you probably have as well, cura personalis or care for the whole person. And so we often just use that phrase or talk about it in terms of how we take care of our students once they're here. But I'm a firm believer, you know, in, in our office, we have this unique capacity to extend that that particular value into the work of admissions, into the work of, in this case, yield, um, into something that we can commit to as we enter every yield season. Now, practically speaking, I, I think there are a couple of things we always have to recognize. There's There are very few yield strategies uh, that can broadly be applied to all students. You know, phone calls work for an, an increasingly smaller uh, number of, of students each year. You know, handwritten notes, events, communications, emails, uh, and, and the types of content that students and families might be looking for, they all vary. And so with that kind of philosophy of doing this one student at a time, you know, one tactic that we often discuss, and, and I certainly talk about with my leadership team in particular, but all of our counselors, is that in a yield season for this cycle that is mostly virtual, how can we create differential opportunities and communications in ways that will be accessible to different types of students? And the, the last thing that, that comes to mind for me is, you know, every time that we do anything in admissions, right? There, somebody raises the question, well, what is our call to action um, with everything, right? So we're gonna host a virtual open house. Well, what is our call to action for admitted students? What's our call to action for high school juniors and sophomores? Uh, when we host events, when we send out communications, when we're meeting individually with families. So I, frankly, I'm, I'm really fortunate to work with a staff who understands the importance of this year more than any other. <laughs> we have a pandemic of extending grace and patience to students and, and being a little bit less, I don't know what the right word is, maybe being a little little less pressure oriented on, on these conversations about you know what we expect or what we hope students will do next, but instead, instead to use opportunities that we have to engage with students virtually or uh, in person, get a sense of kind of where the students are. Uh, I think many of us uh, throughout higher ed uh, in, in admissions offices saw that this application cycle was unique. I, I, I joked with my staff that you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, somebody's going to look back at historical like velocity reports of applications being submitted. This one, this year is just different, both on, you know, submissions of FAFSAs, submissions of applications. And so I think it's fair to say that this year, and one of the things we've talked to our staff about, it's fair to assume that students are going to handle yield season in a different way and perhaps on a slower timeline than normal. Um, so when it comes to our calls to action, I think it's really important that we kind of lay out what we understand students are, are going through and lay out some of our more important kind of deadlines where, where we have to be more strict and where we don't, but also to extend wherever we can a little bit of grace, a little bit of flexibility, uh, regardless of the format of, of the way that we're interacting with students. It's really interesting to me, Brian, that you talked about the different groups of students and the different messages they might need. Obviously, segmentation really helps you zero in on specifically what a, a student is asking for or looking for. I'm curious what you think from your experience without guidance from leadership, what do admissions counselors tend to kind of default to when segmenting their admit pool? I think it's a, it's a really good question. And I think th there's so much about the work that we do that has direct connection into just general human behavior. So I think admissions counselors without you know that type of guidance who might be tasked with, with trying to figure out how to go through the segmentation process, any one of us would be drawn toward students who, for example, already have a strong affinity for the institution or students who we feel like we are more comfortable with, whatever that might mean. 
And I, I think some of our best work in, in college admissions that can be done in our profession, and really I think our the, the value add that we bring to the equation for prospective students and families it is with those students who are genuinely undecided, who have broad questions and are looking to kind of narrow their search. So I think what's really important is to kind of resist the temptation to just segment, for example, as we always have, or, or just segment on, on those feeder high schools or uh, legacy students wh or whatever it might be. It, it, I do believe it's human nature to, to want to connect with people who we are most comfortable with. So to, to use it a hypothetical, talking to like a, a third generation legacy student who was born wanting to come to, to your institution, it, it's a fun conversation to have. It can certainly be constructive and, and you can certainly focus on what the student's uh, goals are. But instead, I think what, what our work calls us to do is to identify those students who have clearly expressed an interest in our institution. They've applied, they've gone through all the rigmarole of, of submitting an application, and, and in many cases have gone out of their way to visit our campuses or participate in virtual activities. I think it's fun and, and important for admissions counselors to, to go a bit deeper and to really ask, uh, where are those students where I can actually make a meaningful impact, where my expertise and skill sets as an employee of the institution and course, we have some alumni on our staff. Where can I, I best make a difference in the communication and the engagement that I have with, with admitted students? So I think counselors, just like anybody else, develop comfort levels, right, over time with schools, with school counselors, with students. And I think it's my responsibility as the dean and our responsibility as just generally professionals in college admissions to ensure that we segment in more strategic ways that that, like I said, put our expertise and skill sets to, to the best use. So, and one final thought I have on this, and it's, it's tough to articulate, so forgive me if I, I kind of fumble through this, but I, I really do believe our work calls us to extend what we all describe as a holistic review of students during the application process, like the, the file review process, into other areas of, of our work, like where and how we recruit. So I think that's the best best way I can summarize it. So um, I think it's, it's, it's about posing lots of important questions and then digging a little bit deeper than than where our, our initial comfort level might take us. Brian, I definitely agree with that. So in knowing that most of our audience are probably admissions directors and have staffs that they're trying to motivate, um, have you found any uh, carrots, for lack of a better term, that um, have been successful at motivating your counselors to dig into the data at that level compared to just you handing them a segmented list? You know, how do you how do you get them to dig further in to get past some of their, you know, default um, tendencies um, to really get after the segmentation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, it's all about, you know, the the talent that we attract into our office. So I, for me, it kind of starts with the hiring process. I, I place a high value and have wherever I've worked, uh, not so much in, you know, yes, having experience in admissions is, is, is important, having an affinity for the institution and understanding and believing in the mission of the institution. Those things are important. But really, you know, as we're looking to hire new counselors, I, I, I really try to emphasize things like creativity and curiosity and, and some of that outside of the box thinking when, when we were interviewing potential counselors. So I'll start by just saying I'm really, really fortunate to uh, have an admissions team that, that kind of likes to dig deeper. That's just kind of the nature of who they are. They kind of challenge each other and challenge themselves to, to dig a little bit deeper than just what might show up on a spreadsheet or on a quick report that they can run out of a, a CRM. Less carrots and sticks and, and more really getting the staff engaged in the data that we have available to us and helping them understand kind of what, what produces the data, what else is out there, and then more than anything, teaching them to learn what are the best questions to ask. So I, and I assume many other admissions uh, directors and deans out there have very uh, inquisitive and, and curious staffs. And, and one of the things I really appreciate about our team is we, we spend a lot of time asking the question, why? 
Why this strategy over that one? Why this segmentation approach over another? And then, well, how can we go about answering that question? What, what data exists out there? And then giving staff sometimes the, the tools to kind of take those questions and do some exploration on their own, either within an existing data set or within our CRM. Uh, and then to come back to leadership and say, you know, does this thought that I have, does this approach that I'm considering align with our broader strategy? So, so I think some of the motivation comes from giving them access to data, creating some connections, um, kind of theoretical, but also practical connections between kind of like, let's just start at the very top of the funnel, where we searched and why we chose to search there, uh, what our institutional mission and priorities are, what our, what our current year strategic priorities are. And now hearing all of this and seeing this data set, what might you tease out that's going to inform how you engage as an admissions counselor with students in your territory? So that's kind of a long-winded way of getting there. I, early on in my career, I, I kind of witnessed firsthand what it, what it might mean to uh, have somebody lead an admissions office through fear, like carrots and like true carrots and sticks. Like if you don't do this, you will not get this or whatever it might be. So I've always been committed to, to trying to avoid that if at all possible. And so for me, it really does start with kind of the people we have and the kind of culture we create around um, the data, creating data sets that, that are useful, and then also really training counselors to ask important questions um, that help guide their their work. Brian, that segues actually very well to my next question. Can you talk a little bit about data points that are available to us now that were not available maybe when you started in admissions that you wish you had more access to when you were starting as an admissions counselor? Oh man, what a great question. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to comprehend how much technology like a like a crm you know we're a slate school and i know there's there's many out there but but any crm has just changed what we are able to do in admissions and, and just how we do the work of of admissions so wow tj yeah i think my immediate and short answer to this question is just readily available data about what students prior interactions have been with us as an institution right so i don't have to dig through handwritten notes or old emails or visit reports or an, an old Excel file, uh, when I'm going to make a phone call to a student or emailing a family member of a student or hosting a visitor or giving a presentation to a small group of students, the fact that right now in less than 30 seconds, I can get a very clear picture of that student's familiarity with our campus. Mm -hmm. I can see what emails they received and opened, how often they visited, uh, what their engagement with us has been. So frankly, I think this has improved our work. It's actually improved things both for, for admissions professionals, but also for students and families, because it keeps interactions from being focused on kind of a rehash of, of the student's engagement and what they know and what they don't know and what questions they have. And it really allows me uh, and any admissions professional to kind of start with some assumptions in mind about that student. You know, hey, you visited our campus uh, and I see you had a departmental visit with the College of Nursing. So now that you've kind of heard from them and, and seen it firsthand, what additional questions do you have? You know, that that to me, that type of information readily available and so so quickly available, um, that, that would have been nice early on in my my admissions career. Uh, and then the other thought, if, if you'll indulge me for just a minute, uh, is it kind of makes me chuckle because, you know, while, while something like a CRM wasn't at my fingertips when I started in the profession, I also think it's important to realize that you know, when I started, you know, 15, 16 years ago, things felt very technologically advanced then. <laughs> so um, two summers ago, and uh, I'll digress just a little bit, but two summers ago, we made the decision at Marquette to go test optional. 
and I was kind of leading that effort. And so I was trying to develop kind of what our rationale would be and, and provide some context for, for various constituency groups I knew I would have to be speaking with and, and looking to get buy-in from. So I actually spent a couple hours, several hours and several days in, in our university archives. And I came to the archivist and I started with a basic question, uh, when and why did we start requiring standardized tests to begin with? And so I'm there looking to seek out an answer for that question. But one of the best parts about that experience was digging through archival files of Marquette admissions staff from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. You talk about building a class one student at a time. I'm looking at these handwritten notes that what we would now call tracking that they were having to do and, and, and something close, I guess, to segmentation that they were, they were trying to do with a much smaller staff and with limited technology and resources. But, but the basic elements were there, the same elements that were there when I started in this profession. And frankly, the same principles and elements that are here uh, this year. So lots of things have changed and evolved, but some of the fundamentals remain the same. So I think that perspective, you know, for me anyway, has been kind of healthy. So I'm just chuckling, thinking about, you know, what what the those early admissions counselors were doing in, in our office that, you know, we're, we're, we're applying many of those principles now, but we're just doing it in a far more refined and perhaps more efficient way. But I really do go back to, I, I, I think fundamentally for me, what's most important is that we can use these advances to make things better for prospective students, that we don't have to kind of hammer them with the same information over and over again. And and only when we're directly engaging with them do we find out what has stuck. Uh, we, we can look at the data we have about them and, and make some, not too many assumptions, but certainly make some, some educated decisions about how we want to approach those conversations. So um, yeah, I guess my final thought on that, sorry if I'm, I'm rambling here, but I, I think you know, a lot of us in this profession have been asked at one point or another in our career if if we think admissions is an art or a science. And I, I do think, you know, something that I've, I've always stressed to my teams is there, there's always a temptation when you get more data to to say, oh, well, we're just going to make this more of a science, right? And eventually this will just be a scientific process where we can know exactly which students to recruit, which students to admit, which students will enroll. And and I just always push back on that. Um, and frankly, I think the balance between art and science is, has kind of held fairly constant, even with uh the the new access we have to large uh vast quantities of data about our our students and so i, I think it's it's really important to avoid you know we want to be data informed and we want to make data informed decisions mm -hmm. but we also don't want to be paralyzed by the amount of data that we have and assume that data will lead us into a perfect direction um, i think you can have all the data in the world and still make bad decisions you can avoid using data to inform your decisions and, and also make bad decisions. But the opposite is also true. Uh, you can use the data you have. And if, if you're thoughtful and decisive um, and, and remain creative in the types of questions you're asking and hoping to tease out of the data, uh, you can really use it to, to your benefit. So I, I think in multiple different ways, maybe I've tried to answer your question. And I don't know if that helps uh, at all uh, for some folks out there. But but um, certainly, TJ, I, I really do appreciate that question because as much as we who have lots of experience in college admissions have seen it evolve, I think there are some things that are just evergreen. And those are the things that I think uh, help drive us forward. Well, Brian, that brings us to the end of the conversation. Thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us today. It really has been a pleasure. I, I, I love having these conversations, you know, in the absence of of you know professional conferences and in-person engagement uh that I, I was looking forward to this and, and really appreciate your your thoughtful questions and i'm excited to to hear uh, some of the other interviewees you, you've been speaking with and, and get some of their perspectives as well
Yeah. Brian, why don't you tell our listeners uh, if there's anything exciting you're working on this next semester that you're looking forward to and how folks can get in touch with you? Oh, there's there's lots uh, that's exciting going on, but but really tying into one of those last questions, um, you know, I've got a, a, a tremendous staff who has has really dug into to data, certainly in my time in the last four and a half years I've been here at Marquette. Um, and, you know, having gone kind of full circle uh, from the beginning of my career when we didn't, not only do did we not have a CRM, we didn't really have a an outside vendor that we worked with for something like search or application generation. It was all sort of manual. And uh, one of the things that we've we've talked at great length about is, you know, to the extent that we use, you know, lots of uh, strategic partners and vendors to help us with various aspects of the enrollment funnel, we're looking to, um, for lack of a, a better word, kind of bring it all in-house. Um, and that's a really exciting project for me personally, but but it's been fun seeing my staff get so excited about that. I, I know a lot of folks out there are already doing it, and it's something I, I have sort of way back in, in the beginning of my career I have some experience with, but but I'm really excited to kind of use the tools and data we have access to, and then to just be a little bit more thoughtful, I think, and, and, and critical about the types of kind of strategic partnerships we want to have that, that can help us do our work better, but understanding that we've got some tremendous human capital here in, in our office and, and really leveraging that. So that's kind of an ongoing project uh, right now for us that, that we're excited about and gets us excited as we as we look to, to, to yield the fall 21 cohort, but also look ahead to 22, 23 and beyond. And, and certainly, yeah, I would, I would welcome the opportunity to, to connect with other folks who are, who are listening or have participated in the, in the podcast. Um, best way to get in touch with me, well, my direct line in my office is 414-288-7004 or my email address, brian, uh, B-R-I-A-N dot Troyer, T-R-O-Y-E-R at marquette.edu. I'd love to connect with, with any folks out there. All right, Tiggy. Well, there you go. Our first guests on our first episode. I think it was a good one. I really enjoyed both of those conversations and both the perspectives uh, of these gentlemen. So what was some of the highlights from your perspective? You know, one of the things that really stood out was with Adrian when he talked about being at a WECAC conference and he suggested that high school visits in the traditional way shouldn't go on anymore. Right. He, he said he got all sorts of side eye and shady looks yeah. from college counselors. And I found that fascinating. We all know that they're not working. Right. But yet we all don't have something to replace it with yet. So we, we feel like we have to keep doing it. I, I just found that dynamic. I could, the way he described it, I could picture it in the room. What did you think about his um, suggestions on what he's seen from some of the other colleges about they're bringing in alumni or they're bringing in current students? And, you know, that sounds great on paper yeah. and in theory. But for schools that are recruiting nationally or stretched thin on budget and resources, how do you go about doing that um, and still have that same impact? I almost felt as he was talking, I, I agree. Let me preface this. I agree wholeheartedly with him that we need to figure out a way to do that differently. But like anything in college admissions, it starts to be it starts to become a competition to who can do it the best and who can have the best, you know, staged yeah. or whatever. Where do we go from here? 
You know, I thought the idea was fantastic because I could immediately see transitioning to that next fall. You know, in, in my office, we're, we're the major, the overwhelming majority of our students are coming within driving distance. Uh, right. So th- throwing some student ambassadors in the in the car with a counselor to do fewer high school visits, but more detailed high school visits, I thought could really give us an advantage over colleges that they can't do that, right? That are coming from a distance. But I would think if I was going to send a, an admissions counselor, say to um, Puerto Rico or Colorado, that if that idea took kind of having the student perspective there, I I would send the counselor with a, with an iPad to have the student Skype in in the moment. You know, we're mm-hmm. learning how important it is to get the counselors out of the way in these virtual recruiting sessions. And I would I would replace it that way. Yeah, th- that great idea. I mean, really, you'd have to do a little bit more pre-planning. You'd have to let the school counselor know ahead of time that you'd need that technology. But now with the pandemic, the technology should definitely be there. It should be easy to do even without an iPad. Like you could almost even project in a room because all these mm-hmm. classrooms now have been outfitted with the technology to do hybrid learning. So, yeah, that, I there's something there. There's definitely yeah. something there. The other topic that Adrian brought up that I think we probably could save this for season two because it's probably more of a fall tactic um, is on-site admissions. Um, I, I, I did on-site admissions years ago um, in, in one of my regional counselor roles um, when working with Chicago Public Schools, and it was very effective. Great opportunity. I mean, I was a professional probably four years in at that point to admissions. And to sit there and review applicants in real time, give them decisions, was very uh, daunting at first. But then you realized how quickly you connected with those students at a different level than if you, you know, reviewed them in the CRM on your own and sent out the decisions automatically or something. So I, I think we need to put a pin in that, and that might be a good future topic. You know, and with Brian, I loved him talking about... Um, you know, the old style segmentation that happened before CRMs, what, what he found yeah. in the old files at Marquette of, you know, just notes on paper um, and trying to keep track of it. It reminds me a little bit of that, that envelope project I did back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, I'm sure that you um, need to go get to get the Amazon package with a fresh package of uh, Sharpie markers. I'm sure that was the door ringing and the dogs barking there on your end. So let's wrap this one up. So this was a great episode. Uh, Can't wait for the next episodes here in this season. Really looking forward to it. Um, And I think unless you have anything else, I'm Nathan. I'm Tej. And that was the LunchCast. Listen, at Woodman's, in the tofu section, there's a big sign for the new tofu that's a weird shape, and it said, made in Milwaukee. So I snatched it up, and it is being pressed right now, and I'm going to grill it and put garlic salt on it and see how it goes.